Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Mandy Walls. Find me at LNXCHK on Twitter. All right, welcome, folks. Thanks for joining us this week. With me today is Courtney Nash. Courtney, tell the world who you are and what you do right now. Hi, Mandy. This is so exciting, partly um, because I feel like Mandy and I have known each other for like so long now. Um, so that's how it started. I met Mandy when I was chairing the Velocity Conference for O'Reilly Media, and I worked there for quite a while. And then I floated around startup land, and I have ended up at a startup called Verica, which plays around in the, we call it continuous verification, but if people don't know what that is, uh, chaos engineering space, which is uh, tooling designed to help people to safely mess around in their systems and find out, you know, where the cliffs are. And so as a part of that, I have come on board as a researcher. I have a weird background in like neuroscience and sort of cognitive systems. And then I sort of fell down this rabbit hole with John Allspa, as one does, um, and got kind of really into the whole space of resilience engineering and human factors and safety science and all this stuff. And so I'm trying to bring some of that academic rigor, but also just a a general sense of empathy uh, towards people who have to handle uh, software when it falls over, as it does. I'm doing some research that's your typical product research type of things. And and when I first started doing that, I was really spelunking Kubernetes and Kafka related things. And I, I was building up this small little database of public incident reports because you can't always get inside the machine. Yes. <laughs> right? You are. You're inside the machine. But maybe we'll have to talk about that later. And so I hit this point where I said, okay, this is really useful. And honestly, we've all kind of wanted something to exist for a long time that collects all of these public incident reports into one place. And, and I'm not the first person to have this idea, by the way. I do not want to uh, lay claim to that. Many others have sort of laid the groundwork for that. But basically, what I'll come back to that because I want to give the credit where it's due. But what, it, what we ended up building was this thing called The Void, which is the Verica Open Incident yes. Database. Yes. And the goal of The Void is to provide information that helps people ask better questions about software incidents and to potentially study these things across like, and what people say about them, right? Study these across a more consistent like corpus. Because if, if you've ever tried to go find these things, you may know people don't always, they're, they're hard to find. Some people are very transparent about these things and, and that's wonderful. And we want to see more of that. And so we wanted to just shine a light on all of that. And that will ultimately, hopefully help us make the software we build and the internet that it sits on, and you know, maybe safer and a little more resilient. So the goal of the void is to just be a place where people can can drop these incident reports, and then we can spend time studying that. Other people could spend time studying that. I mean, we could study things together. You know, that would be really fun. The point is, like, other industries do this, especially safety critical industries. Yeah. So, like, the airline industry mm-hmm. is my favorite example. You know, planes were kind of falling out of the sky for a while there, like in the 80s and 90s, if you're old enough um, like us to remember that. And that industry kind of said, well, okay, I know that like we're competing with you and, and you know, we're competing with each other, but the, really this is not good. And we need to get together and share information about our incidents and our accidents. And, you know, along with a few other things that 
not just that. I mean, it's a heavily regulated industry, but like their safety record got way better. So I think if we can share this kind of information uh, much more transparently, be really open about it, then you know, like a rising tide lifts all boats. Everybody's game can get better. Absolutely. So that's that's the general idea behind the void. Yeah, but the 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 airline one's always interesting, right? Because like it's very apparent when there's a large disaster or catastrophe or some kind of it's in the news, right? Like it's it's a big deal when when something happens there. And that and like you say, it rolls downhill. Like you don't then know like how many folks aren't going to want to take a flight based on, you know, that perceived increase in accidents. And like looking at the internet as part of like it's like an extension of your brain most of the time. It's where you live Mm -hmm. a large part of your life and having that be trustworthy and safe and working when you need it to becomes increasingly important the more things that we do on it. Yeah. And that's the point. Like the internet and software are integral to our lives. It used to be just cats. And I mean, honestly, the internet was okay. It wasn't really built for pictures of cats, but it's really perfect for that. But you know, like the recent Facebook WhatsApp outage, I mean, WhatsApp runs businesses in Brazil. It's a huge part of India's economy, of all of these other places outside of the US in our little bubble. And so there's all these sort of downstream knock-on kinds of things that can happen that are potentially life-threatening, and at least in some cases, economically damaging. So the transparency just, it to me, seems seems really important. And that's why I think a very long road for our industry. Yeah. I think we live in pockets where sharing this information just seems really natural to us, but that is not, that's not the norm, I would say. Yeah. And yes, for those of us of a certain age who've been watching this sort of uh, evolution, like why now? Like what, what has happened, do you think, in the past, you know, even the last few years that has sort of brought this back out to the forefront? Because it's not like, I feel like some of us have been publishing these things into into the the ether for years, but like now it feels like maybe there's more of a, a backing for this kind of sharing. Yeah, well, I mean, I think a lot of us know this story. I mean, we're you have failures because you're successful is is really mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing, and we're companies in the software space are increasingly fast and more successful because the way we can build things has changed so dramatically in the last. You know, I, I hate to put brackets around it, but you know, because there's these big phase shifts. But I mean, hi, there's this thing called the cloud, yeah. and now there's SaaS tools, and there's like you can whip stuff together pretty quick. And the way that some of those things are built, you don't even have to necessarily know exactly what's happening under the hood. And I'm I am not throwing shade at anyone for this, but it is the very nature of the complexity of the systems we're building now, and it's not just like internal complexity, right? Like I'm sure PagerDuty knows a lot about the ways in which people's upstream or downstream providers impact their own services, which then impact their own downstream and upstream folks, right? So it's so complex that no one SRE, no one development team, no one organization can actually get their arms around how the things they've built really work, and therefore also how they stop working. The pace and complexity of that has just gone berserker in the last, I mean, I guess I would say five to eight years. So that's where I get the transparency piece. Because if you you just have your own problems, right? If you're Microsoft shipping, you know, software onto a disk, <laughs> you know, whatever, 20 years ago, like 
you're going to figure your own stuff out and you're not maybe going to learn a lot from other people, right? And there's still a huge amount of local context to how any business is run and and how, you know, what their pressures are and what, you know, what their business model is. But there's a point where I think a lot of people feel like some of us are solving the same problems over and over again or having similar problems over and over again. And if we're not sharing that information in light of all of this shared interdependent complexity, I mean, we're just going to all be banging our heads against the those walls over and over again. Over and over again. Yeah. Solving the same problems repeatedly. And some places I feel like they haven't found the balance between what's actually the important stuff that's running your business. What are you actually known for and what's just good industry practice and knowing what parts are shared by default almost uh, across like everybody rather than the things that you need to hold back as part of your your top secret sauce that you're <laughs> Yeah. And I think the other thing is, is in a weird way, despite the fact that our software engineering practices have changed so dramatically over the last five to eight years, our mentality is still decades old, at least, about like how humans and software interact and the role that people play in, you know, these kinds of systems. And so that's the other piece of it that I hope the void really kinds of opens people's eyes to is I always refer to these as socio-technical systems that fail. And mm-hmm. the really juicy, interesting incident reports that I feel like we can learn the most from really spelunk into not just like, oh, our Kubernetes cluster fell over, but what were the time pressures, the economic pressures, the political pressures, the resourcing pressures? Like there's so many factors that are not just, you know, which flavor are you on and did you upgrade or did you patch or not? And like that that oftentimes when you sort of peel these back or you read these really thoughtful incident reports, people say things like, oh, well, back when we started building this system three years ago, we only had two people on the team and blah, blah. And then you're like, okay record scratch. Like there's so much interesting information there. And so, you know, this notion that software is this perfect thing that we architect and then we build it and we test it. I think it's weird to me that that's, we have, we are managing to hold those two things in our heads at the same time. Like we are making these incredibly complex systems and yet we still want to act like, like we can have, you know, all seeing knowledge and control over them. Um, And one of those has to give. And I'd argue it's the latter. I always feel like you have to like have like a bit of a Zen moment. Like you can't step into the same river twice. You are never going to step into the same application exactly the same way twice. It's going to be a different pot of users that are in there at any given time doing different things, exploring different parts of your application. Yeah. Having that background, like what decisions did you make? What were you actually told to build? Maybe there was a discussion about before it got deployed and, and all of these other components that come into actually building software for real life versus building software in la la land or in a fantasy (laughs) world. Yeah. Yeah. And my favorite, one of my favorite patterns is the things you do to remediate an incident you have often lead to the next one. Like I don't have the data on this yet. I hope that collectively some of us will be able to put some of these data together but I see this I, 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 in reading these, we read, read enough of these, it, it's like there's at least a hint of a, of a pattern here, you know? And so like that's the very things we do to try to fix these things, add more 
complexity mm-hmm. or potentially yes. brittleness or whatever to the system that we're trying to build and maintain. So we're always poking around at these things. And I think one of the things that I also wanted to highlight from the whole void perspective, and I, I was hinting at this earlier, is like Dr. Richard Cook, who is a researcher uh, who has brought a lot of knowledge from medicine and work he's done in other fields to our industry, he's the one I steal from when I say you have failures because you're successful. It's amazing that these things work as often they do as they do, not so much that they fail, right? And and the reason they work is because of people. Like we, mm-hmm. you, you know, SREs, sysadmins, uh, you know, whoever you are, whatever your title is, keep these things running. And then you fix them typically pretty quickly, actually, when they break. And I feel like that message just like is not out there enough. And that's one of, you know, so I think like being able to highlight those kinds of stories where if without us, (laughs) this stuff would run, you know, like the heavy push towards, you know, automating all the things. You know, I like that's one of them. The like y- y'all probably know this better than I do. From, from well, it, it's in your it's in your report that you all just put out, which was sort of mirrored. You know what what I found, which is like you know most of the time people fix things pretty quickly, like in under a couple of hours. Like the stuff you know how to do works. <laughs> like you roll it back or you figure out what changed, and like sometimes it doesn't. There's a really couple of really great uh, incident reports. There's one that the uh, which was the one it was like honeycomb had a really great recent one. They're one of my favorite folks for like how they write up their incidents. But it's the kind of thing where it's like, oh no, it's the Slack one. It's the Slack DNS sec one that Laura Nolan just published today. I highly recommend everyone go out and read it. I will give show notes, but it's like, we did this thing. Oh shit. We rolled it back. Okay. It got better. We decided to do it again. Oh bad. Still another thing, rolled it back. Some other stuff happened in the middle. And then we tried to roll it out again and it went bad again. And we tried to roll it back and then it got worse. And you're just like, what? You know, like everybody can feel like what that pain is like, but, but, and that one was like 24 hours, but most of the time it's like, it's a minutes to hours, like a couple of hours that, that, that you all fix these things. Cause you're good at what you do. You really are good at your jobs. And so I think a lot of, one of the things I'm hoping to study with the void too, is like, I don't just have incident reports that people write up like these lovely ones, you know, from Slack and from Honeycomb and from, you know, whoever. I also get all the media articles in there, not all of them, but the media articles are fascinating. This is actually something I want to study, um, look into next year, which is sort of the way we talk about these things influences the way we think about these systems, right? And on just a really, you know, quick brush, if you look at it, the way that people who are involved in these systems write about these incidents and the way that, you know, the media writes about these things is a little different. And I don't think that's helpful being anything. Actually, I was just reading this really cool article this morning from someone else. Like, I love when our industries like Clyde, it's this guy who's like a Harvard fellow in like transportation or something. But he's railing on the statistic that I didn't realize was rampant in his industry, which is that 94% of car crashes are due to human error. And anybody who's driven a car is like, that can't be possible. <laughs> like, because yeah. there are these big complex systems of drivers and cars and passengers and dogs and pedestrians and bikes and really crappy streets. And so he goes on to make this really amazing argument. And, you know, and he's saying like, the media needs to stop reporting this statistic willy nilly. They just hear it. And they're like, Ooh, 94% of, you know, car accidents are operator error. And then that's out there. And then everyone believes it. And we have a similar problem, right? We want to blame humans for our outages. 
and we need to stop, stop doing it. If I had one wish, I think that might be it. Stop blaming humans because they make it work. I wish. They make it work, right? And if you read these things carefully, you see that. You see the expertise. You see like, oh, wait, so-and-so said, oh, that's weird. I saw this weird thing last week. And, like, and then you listen to what so-and-so knows about that system. And then she tells you all these other things. There are so many myths and not good practices that I'm hoping we can dispel a bit more on that front. Yeah. Well, what's your favorite one there? One of our recurring questions on the podcast is, what is a myth about, you know, this kind of, mm-hmm. of work that you'd like to, to set straight? So if you've got a favorite one. I have a couple favorites. I will go with, uh, which is related to this human error one, root cause, right? Yes. And we look at this in the, in the void. I looked at like how many people claim to find a root cause or do a root cause analysis, like formally, like RCA, you know, put it in the title of your thing. Mm-hmm. It's about 27%. At the time that we like published that, um, okay. and, and the numbers are changing because we're constantly adding incidents to the void. We have about uh, just shy of two thousand incidents in there now, which is like the tip of the iceberg. I know, and so I kind of expected that number to be bigger, partly because like Google writes about this in their sort of SRE practices. Um, they call yes. them RCAs. Microsoft does this. They call it an RCA, a root cause analysis. Salesforce does this. So a lot of big organizations either actual software companies or companies that are very software driven companies, Salesforce. And so the reason I said I was surprised is I thought this would be something that people like believe they should do. And the reason I think they would believe they should do it is it sounds very appealing. Again, I have a lot of empathy for this because as humans, we want certainty. And especially as engineers, oh, good, good gravy. Let us have, Mm -hmm. you know, a very concise and detailed understanding of what happened. But if we go back to what I was saying earlier, like once you kind of, there is no spoon. And once you reach that point, then you're like, oh, wow. Again, you could go back to like, okay, we didn't upgrade XYZ. And then you can peel and pull all the strings and realize there's like a whole bunch of contributing factors to that thing. And if all those contributing factors, latent things weren't present at that very moment in time for whatever was happening, then it might not have happened, which is annoyingly spooky and not what the way that engineers yeah. want to work. But the reason I would... No, we want math. We want the math to be right. And also, as companies, we want to be able to say, we looked into this, we found the cause of the problem so that we can promise you that this will yes. never happen again. And I can tell you, odds are, eh, it's true, yeah. that exact thing will probably never happen again. And so it's hard yes. because you have customers, you have users, you have people who depend on this stuff. But the belief that there is a root cause can lead to a lot of really unhealthy practices, in my opinion. Now, am I saying that like Google and Microsoft are just wrong about this? Not necessarily. But I think if we can get to a more nuanced perspective of this, some people get mad at me because they're like, you're just you're just using words to mean different things. Like someone said they did a root cause analysis, but really they, they identified a bunch of contributing factors. And I'm like, sure, great. Maybe let's change that language. But because it matters and because root cause so often ends up being so-and-so did X, Y, Z, right? Yeah. I mean, like if you say to somebody, uh, yeah, I, I'm about to go push, push a config change to blah, 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 and they're like, <gasps> like they inhale. They're like, oh, God, you know, config changes, <laughs> terror. I, yeah, I mean, but, the, but also the internet runs on config changes. Like most of the time, it yes, works. It has to. 
I got really mad at Casey Newton, who I think is a really great journalist, but he was like ranting about, you know, like every week I report on config changes and yet every week software companies keep making them. And I'm like, you do understand how the cake is made, right, Casey? Yeah. Yeah. Like, come on, man. (laughs) So I would love for people to, they want to be able to, and they want to go to their board and they want to go to their whatever and say, we found the, I mean, they don't, you don't go to your board about an incident, but you know what I mean? But when you, well, you hope you don't have to go. That would be a really bad one. But yeah. But when you can make that leap or when you can evolve into that mindset of there will always be a latent set of contributing factors for any incident, then you start to have a different view of your systems and their systems, right? They have system effects. And so what you want to be able to understand is the boundaries of those systems, right? And like, where mm-hmm. are the cliffs? Where, what do your performance envelopes look like? Like what happens when, if, if I push it super far in the performance envelope, or if we push it, you know, super far in the whatever envelope, you know, Rasmussen, we could bring that one up. I'll give you that one to throw in the links, but it's like some great, you know, uh, research stuff that talks about the boundaries that you push up against and there's economic ones and there's, you know, workload ones and there's, and engineers kind of have some intuitive sense of these things, but not, not for the whole thing. It's not a soundbite. Like I have to spend five minutes rambling on about it versus saying we did a root cause analysis. But I have, I have a deep seated hypothesis or suspicion that maybe someday we will also have data for a la like Nicole Forsgren, Dr. Forsgren style genius. Someday maybe we'll have the data to show that organizations that take this view of their systems are better able at having that sort of resilience right? That they have a better adaptive capacity because of the way they view their systems. Okay. I don't know. That is my theory. And maybe hmm. time will, will tell. Interesting. I don't know. So that's my, that's my favorite. Well, so in the, in the meantime, like, in the, like, so what can folks out there do to, to help with this? Yes. So like, how do they participate in the void? Yep. There's a whole bunch of different ways. And one of which is to just send me your incident reports if they're not there. Um, we'll give there's there's a link to the void itself and there's a big well, it's not a big button right now. The big button is download the report because that's how we do things, you know. But there is a link to submit an incident. If you're like all of our incidents aren't in there, then you can shoot me an email and I'll work with you to get them all in. I'm just one woman show. So when you're like you don't have, you know, an RSS feed and API yet, I'm like, yeah. I know that. And then that's the other thing people could do is they could get on board and become a partner and, you know, sort of help us build out more of this structure and infrastructure that we need and people to do this. So we're working on a new member sort of member partnership program for next year. Um, so people can kind of get involved and maybe get early access to some of the research or those kinds of things. So those, I mean, the, the main way is to just like send us your incidents. If you're just curious, I'm on Twitter you can send an email, like just say hi. I like that. When people say hi, what, how can I get involved? What can I do? You know, we're looking for data partners, like, I don't know, or like people that we can do research with. I don't know yet. Yeah. I'm looking at the internet from the outside in, and you can only see so much when you do that. Yes. And so, right. yeah, the folks that, yeah. that watch it go by see something different than we do. And so I think there's a lot to be figured out there yeah. still. But yeah, send me your incidents. Oh, please, let's get that thing full. Awesome. Yeah. So like, as I'm looking through some of the folks that are on the list right now, you've got like, it's everywhere. You've got like Fastly and Datadog, but also gov.uk and Roblox and Hulu and all these folks. And like, who's lagging? Like, 
uh, there's a lot of tech companies here. There's a lot of tech forward companies here. Where could we use more help? That's a great question. And I love it when people ask me questions that I don't have the answer to and haven't looked at yet. <laughs> uh, I got my like my pen and paper out right now. I'll tell you the glaringly obvious. There's some very obviously absent characters here. And I'm, I'm looking at you, AWS, Amazon, and Apple. I'm sorry. I'm just going to call you out. And AWS is going to be like, but we published some. And I'm like, yeah. And I only just finally figured out how to find them. Mm-hmm. And y'all are sitting on so many more that you don't share. And you are at such a scale that it could be wildly beneficial to the industry as a whole. So I'll just say that. There are some glaring mis- you know, uh, open spots there that they could gladly come in and fill. As far as like, yes, it's across a bunch of industries. And you see stuff in there that's very traditional businesses that have become more software driven, Mm -hmm. right? And governments and those things. Who's lagging? I don't know. I now have to go look. Um, And so I will get back to you on that (laughs) because that's a really good question. Yeah. I I mean, I kind of like to know. I mean, it's one of the questions I have for some of our data as well. Like who's out in the front, who's, you know, kind of starting to pick up speed and, and like looking at the things across industry to see where, you know, we could be focusing on helping people more and getting their, their stuff back out there. So Yes. If people want shining examples of organizations that I think are doing it right, or I don't want to say right, because that means it sounds like everyone else is doing it wrong. And that is not my goal. Um, but I think folks are doing a really unique and interesting job of this. I, I already mentioned Honeycomb, but mm-hmm. they just published a, another multi-incident analysis of some wackiness that happened to them in September and October on the heels of another one they did from earlier this year. And I had I had them on the, the Void podcast. Ooh, that's another mm-hmm. way people can get involved, but we'll come back to that. And then Slack does a really good job. Like I said, Laura Nolan um, is one of the folks, one of the SR engineers um, who's involved in their incident analysis and write-ups. She just did the recent DNS one. She also did the January 4th one. Like, remember we all came back to work this year and it was like, oh, yeah, everybody hey, came back from, yeah. Slack's down. She wrote an amazing um, one from that. And the folks from Reddit ha- wrote up some really, really thoughtful, also like an, an, an anthology of incidents that happened when, mm-hmm. remember the whole GameStop thing? So there was a whole subreddit that got just nuked, which kind of nuked Reddit. It was like that mm-hmm. big of a deal. And so they wrote up a bunch of really thoughtful, like in-depth analyses that went into all the socio-technical factors, you know, those kinds of things. You know, I think those, if you look and see those, those are really great examples of people who are putting a lot of thought and yes, time and energy into these. But yeah. if you ask them, they'll tell you they think it's totally worth it. Like the investment's 100% mm-hmm. worth it in terms of what they learn about their their systems. And so that's what's cool. The The Reddit one, they talk about near misses and things they did based on things they'd learned in the past that actually worked. It was like, oh, why don't we invest more time and energy into understanding how these things work? So that was really cool. And so they're also on the podcast. So I'll do that. There's my plug. The other way you can get involved is if you have written up an incident publicly, you've published it, and you want to come on the podcast and talk about it. I know this is hard, lawyers, PR, comms team. I'm patient. I'm stubborn. I'll keep asking until you explicitly say no. If I can get Reddit to come on and talk, like I can, come on, people, come and talk to me about this. Like It's possible to do this and not reveal state secrets. But listening to the people who've been involved talk about it has been just 
absolutely amazing just for me. I'm going to mostly, I just sit there and don't have to ask any questions because they just have all these amazing things to say. But so come on the podcast, come, come tell me about your incidents. And that's the other way you can get involved. Awesome. Sweet. All right. Well, we're just about out of time. Is there any other parting thoughts or, or anything you'd like to, any advice to give to folks that, you know, aren't sure what all this is about and what to get started with? Any good first incident to read that's on the list? <gasps> yeah. I mean, honestly, go to the void, type in honeycomb. You can look, there's a filter on there that says has expert commentary. Go look at those. There's a, a handful of incident reports on the void that's that have expert commentary on them. If they've been on the podcast, they're flagged in there. We're always kind of adding to that. And then, you know, I will be talking more about these kinds of things. So there I have a newsletter if you want to sign up for that. Um, but I think the parting shot I want to have that is not a, a promotional shout out is just to like, again, remember that you, the people who build and maintain these systems are very good at what you do. And the vast majority of the time, all of these incredibly important systems stay up and running because of you. And so we applaud you and we thank you. Um, and just, you know, when you are fighting fires, try not to forget that. It's definitely a lot of appreciation for all those folks out there. I no longer have to run systems myself and I am very glad of that, <laughs> but you know, have the scars from those days and I'm very happy for the, the way the industry has matured and is progressing and shout out to all those folks out there that are keeping it all going. Yep. Courtney, thank you. Thank you so much for being on and sharing everything about the void with us. We will have plenty of things in the show notes for folks who are interested in learning more and reading all those things and hooking up with the void and, and doing all that great stuff. So Yes. Thanks, Mandy. This was fun. All right. So thanks, everybody, for joining us this week. Uh, I am Mandy Wells. We're signing off, and we are wishing you an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Pager to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pagertothelimit.com, and you can reach us on Twitter at pagertothelimit using the number two. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, uneventful days are beautiful days. <laughs> <laughs>